This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Hey guys, thanks for joining me on the next Top 100 Part 3 we're on now. Yes, finally. Now, you would have seen on my Facebook and Twitter that I have moved to temporary lodgings for the next 8 weeks or so. I think that's how long it's going to be. Then I'll be moving into my new house. So, bear with me during this time. I do have review copies here. and do have the access to the internet and my headset. But obviously there are only limited times when I can essentially get on on the microphone and start yabbering to you lot. So we're going to have to make do with what I have here in these new, let's say, these new settings, and I will certainly try and get the top 100 out to you throughout the course of August as originally promised. So you've already listened to my first 40 games, and I hope that they were good. I hope you enjoyed listening to them. But now we're going to talk about the next 15 in the list, numbers 60 to 46. Number 60 was a weird one for Days of Wonder. You normally expected Days of Wonder only to put out games that were simple for families, kids could get them, nice and simple, nice and easy, but always gave out good components. Well, number 60 basically proved you all wrong, and me as well, and that's Five Tribes. Five Tribes is a fantastic Euro game. That's Yes, it's based off an old mechanic, but to be honest... We're kind of we're kind of playing this one now, really, aren't we? Five Tribes is great. You've got your grid of tiles with all the different colour meeples all over them, and you pick up a handful of meeples and distribute them around in a particular way in order to utilise the power of a certain colour of meeple, basically all the different tribes. And yes, we've all heard the joke that now that we've got a sixth tribe, shouldn't it be called Six Tribes now? I, I think they painted themselves into a corner with that one, but no matter. With the expansion, it's, it's fine. I wasn't blown blown away by the expansion but it's still good I wouldn't play without it but certainly even the base game of five tribes is great fun can generate some analysis paralysis at times but it's worth it it's simple to play reasonably simple to teach but will have your brain hurting by the end of it no questions asked so five tribes number 60 down 41 places but well it hasn't got to the table a lot recently it's a difficult one for people to sort of get into so it hasn't been played much lately but i'm looking forward to getting the little mini expansion thieves and this will hit the table very soon as a result so five tribes 60 Number 59, down 26 places, but this is still a classic in the deck building genre. And I do mean classic because this was essentially the first one that brought it to the market, and that is Dominion. Yes, okay, there are deck building CCGs we've had, but in terms of making a deck building game, 
just be that popular, Dominion was where it's at, and I still enjoy it to this day. The base game is a little bit repetitive now, we've played it tons and we've gone through all those cards, but as soon as you throw in even just a couple of expansions, it changes the game dramatically, and when you throw in loads of expansions, then it just gets ridiculous. Personally, I've only got three expansions in my copy of Dominion. I think I've got Seaside, I've got Hinterlands, and I've got Guild. So I've got two big ones and a small one. And that's plenty for me. I don't need any more than that. I've got tons of variety in that alone. If I was to get any more, maybe I would consider Prosperity. I think that's the only other one I've been tempted by. I certainly wouldn't grab any of the lesser ones that I hear about, like Alchemy and things like that. Personally, I've got enough. The box is, you know, can only take so many more cards. I could probably fit one or two more expansions in before I need another box, but there's just no need. There's plenty of fun to be had in Dominion, plus two or three expansions. I think that is more than enough for anybody. If you're one of these people that's got every card known to man, including the recent stuff, which I've got no interest in getting for my game, then fair play to you. That's a lot of Dominion cards, and that's some massive investment you've put into that, so well done to you. But for now, I still love playing it. Certainly want to keep the player count at free max, but still great fun. Dominion, 59. Number 58 is a new debut to the list overall, and it is a very cool farming Euro game. But it's not Agricola. No, 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 I'm talking about a fairly recent game called La Grania. I think that's how you pronounce it. This one is a really unique twist on some of the farming games. What really drew me into this one was the fact that I got given this board, and I thought, okay, so the slots on the left bottom, right, and top. How does this work then? And then what I found out was that the cards that you got dealt a hand of cards, and they could be used each for up to four different things. Oh yes, I love multi-use cards. Even in a game which I don't like, you know, something like uh, Bruges, for example. It's not really a spoiler if you were paying attention before I said that there weren't any more Stefan Felds on this list, apart from Merigo. But even then, even in Bruges, I don't like Bruges but I like the multi-card aspect. In the Grania, that multi-card aspect just completely grabbed me by the throat and forced me to play. But in a good way. I, I, was, I had Stockholm Syndrome. I fell in love with my captor and really do enjoy playing this one because the cards you have can either be the trading goods that you're going to aim for, they can be the fields you're going to grow stuff, they can be the sort of income and trading donkeys that you need in order to get the goods around, or they can be each a special occupation or worker that you get, a bit like the cards in Agricola. It's just great. Now, if I do have a problem with this game to nitpick, I would say I think the marketplace mechanic is a little bit weird. I know that the designer took inspiration from a lot of designers like Stefan Feld and Uri Rosenberg, and it shows. You can see a lot of areas where those designers have rubbed off on the mechanics. Unfortunately, he had to pay attention to Stefan Fell, which means the marketplace doesn't really make a lot of thematic sense. But, oh well, I can gloss over that. It's a relatively small thing. You don't even have to aim for those points in order to win the game. There's plenty of other ways to score. And I just love having the choices in my hand of, oh, well, I could use that for that ability. But that, I really need some more. I need some more wine. I need some more olives. But if I don't get any money, I can't afford this stuff. Oh, it's just... It's great. It's a great one. Nice production quality. Fairly easy to learn and pl teach, but plenty of strategy involved and plenty of ways to put a pass to victory. Very instant hit with me. La Grania, 58.
Number 57 is another new debut to the list, although whether it's going to go up or down in future years is going to depend entirely on the new modules that get released for this, because it started off on a very high foot for me, and has gradually gone downhill slightly as each module has come out, but I still really enjoy this one, hence it's number 57 on the list. But its future is going to be highly dependent on the scenarios that come out this year, and that is time stories. Now, yes, everybody can argue about, oh, well, you buy time stories and you only get to play it once and then you've got to wait for ages. Well, yeah, that is a flaw, but it's what you accept going in. This is a module game, so you buy the base system and then you buy whatever modules you want in order to play through those stories. But even if they're only three to four hours long, they are a highly entertaining three to four hours. They are wonderfully immersive, the artwork is beyond gorgeous, and I always get a kick from playing these ones. Now granted, like I said, they have had diminishing returns lately. I wasn't the biggest fan of the fantasy one, the desert one recently, the Egypt one, had a very good setting, and I really liked one of the core mechanics of it, but it felt a little linear, but the zombie one had some pretty cool moments in it, and the Arkham one, the, well, I say Arkham, the, the, the mental asylum one, I think, I think it's called asylum, yeah, asylum, the first one you get in the base box, that one is brilliant, that one is probably the best scenario they've done to date, but there's some good ones looking that they're coming out this time, you know, we've got the Antarctic Expedition one, that could be really cool, especially if they do it a bit like the thing, that'd be pretty impressive, and we've got some more to come, and this overreaching plot that's going through, I'm interested to see what happens next, so will it go up or down? Uh, depends on Space Cowboys choosing the right modules, so uh, it's on you. Keep this on the top 100 next year by giving me some good modules. Number 57, Time Stories. Number 56. 56 is probably a classic for me anyway. It's one of the first games I remember buying in the collection, mostly because the Dice Tower crew all agreed that this was a great dice worker placement game, and the theme just spoke it spoke words to me. Is that the right? I don't know. It spoke... It, basically, it just appealed to me. It was retro sci-fi, and that just seemed like a really cool theme to use for a worker placement game, and I'm talking, of course, about... Alien Frontiers. Alien Frontiers was a very good dice work replacement game. I still really enjoy playing this one, particularly with the factions expansions, because they give you a special power and a special place that you can go to, and other players can use it if they give you some energy for it. It just differentiated everyone quite nicely. But even the base game alone is really cool. There's lots of ways to there's several ways to play it, and the components in the fourth edition, oh, they're very nice. You get some fairly standard dice, but the board is nice. And those little bubble things that you get for the uh, colony things, oh, they're really nice as well. Really enjoy this one. It's a bit heavier than some games out there, so I wouldn't really call it a gateway game. I think you might have to go to something like Kingsburg and possibly Castles of Burgundy, even though that's not my particular favourite game, I still think that's a better gateway level game. I would go to one of those two first before you try Alien Frontiers, but this is a great next step up. It's a solid game, so that makes my number 56. Number 55, and just to quickly say, Alien Frontiers only went down 13 places, so it's still a consistent one. This one's come down 31 places, mainly because it's been very difficult to get this one to the table, and because a certain other game might have slightly eclipsed it in terms of ease to get to the table, not necessarily in terms of preference, but certainly ease. And that's Arkham 
horror. I still really enjoy Arkham Horror, no matter what anybody says about Eldritch Horror. I think Eldritch Horror is amazing. And, alright, spoiler alert, you're going to see it on the list later on. But I still think Arkham Horror is great. The theme in this one is beyond parallel. Eldritch Horror has good theme. Arkham Horror had better theme. It's got some really graphic and really scary type of imagery in some of those ancient ones, and even some of the gameplay. It's just solid all round. Now, yes, it's got some fiddly rules, and it's not the easiest one to learn, but once you get past that bit, add a few expansions in maybe, it's solid. Really enjoy this one. So I look forward to getting this on my new table in the new house. That will be a sight to behold. I think I'll have to make that a Halloween special. But for now, it's sitting in storage, much like most of my other games. You know, sad face, sad panda face. But I will be getting it out soon, and I look forward to that day. So Arkham Horror 55. Fifty-four is a brand new entry to the list, and this is my go-to push-your-luck game. I can't think of a push-your-luck game I prefer than this one without any shadow of a doubt. This is a reprint I was looking forward to to ages because of what Tom Vassell was going on about with Cloud9. But this reprint that I got at Essen last year has been a surefire hit with everybody I've shown it to, and that is Celestia. Celestia is a reprint of Cloud9, as I said, where you have all your pawns in a ship and you're flying off to various lands to pick up points, essentially. But what happens is that you have a selection of cards, each with a particular hazard on them. You roll dice, you take it in turns to be the captain, and you roll dice to see which hazards that you're going to encounter. But before you say whether you can play the cards to match the dice, everybody else has a chance to jump out. And it's a case of whether they think you've got enough cards to handle it. And even then, you can trash talk, you can make up whatever you like, you can lie through your back teeth. You can say, I've got this, when you know you're going to crash. Because the captain cannot jump out. He has to go down with the ship. So if you know you can't make this journey, you want everybody to come down with you. Because you're just selfish like that. And if you know you're going to succeed, you want people to jump out and be scaredy cats because you don't want them joining you at prosperous lands. It's great. The components for this one are stellar. You get this nice uh, actual model ship with these nice little, well, basic pawns in the set. But I managed to get these uh, expanded, advanced twin twin pools, tweeples. I don't know what they're called, but the nice looking meeples in there. But even then, you've got some gorgeous artwork on the cards, that great ship and nice thick tiles it just looks great i even had a t-shirt of one of the lands on this which unfortunately had to get rid of because i kind of got the size wrong i went a size too small and that was a bit of a shame because i really like that t-shirt but it it was worth it for the, the time it lasted for i guess but i still have the game it's signed and illustrated by the artist himself at essen i will be holding on to this copy for a long time 54 celestia Number 53 is a classic in the game genre. This is one of the classics of all time, dating back to 1995, I think, with this one. And yes, I still like it. doesn't matter what anyone says. I think this is a solid game all round, and that is Catan. 
Not the settlers of Catan. No, no, no. We've got to go with the times here, people. It is now just Catan. And I still think this game's amazing. I will play the base game if people just want something light-hearted. But with the Seafarers expansion, it goes up several notches. And with the Traders and Barbarians expansions thrown in, things like the fish and things and the caravans, it goes up another notch. I will still play Cities and Knights, and I still think the Explorers and Pirates is fine. Personally, if it's Catan-related, I'm going to play it. I'll play the spin-off ones if necessary. I even enjoyed the two-player Rivals of Catan. That was a very nice little two-player game as well. So I just think it it's very clean and it just works. It's a great gateway Euro game to say this is what a Euro game is like. But you've got some interaction with the trading aspect. It's not just simply, oh well, I'll hang around by myself and do my own thing. No, you have to get trading with other people. And that can lead to some funny debates as well. Yes, we've all heard the wood for sheep gag. But it's still great fun. Still love it. Granted, this is on the charts mainly because of the Seafarers expansion. I would say it probably would be lower down if it was just base Catan, but I still really enjoy it. So, the classics still are worth playing, guys. 53, Catan. Number 52 is another debut to this list, and that's only a debut to this list because I hadn't played it by the time I'd got to doing it last year. It's taken me a while to find copies of this around, it's taken me a while to get my own copy because I was waiting for the deluxe version, but eventually I was able to add Takedo to my collection. I think Takedo is great. It's a nice, clean, simple design with gateway level mechanics. Granted, you have to teach them a few subsections in the sense of, alright, this card does this, this card does this, but what are we saying here? This one gets you a special ability, this one just gets you points, this one is a panorama, put them together, gets you points. You know, they're pretty simple. Granted, when you add crossroads, it makes the game twice as good, but also twice as complicated. But not too bad for most people to pick up, but you can easily take them out and just teach Takedo with the base cards. I still really enjoy this one. It's one of those kind of charming zen-like games, a bit like Takinoko and various other ones where you just feel in a good mood when you play it. It's nice and simple. It you know, after you've had a brain burner game, it's nice to unwind with something like this. Uh, the deluxe version looks stellar, looks so good with the special characters and that, whether they're painted or unpainted. The soundtrack's really nice as well, actually. It's quite cool to have that on while you play it. But even without the deluxe stuff, the base Takedo game is a nice, simple, very charming gateway game that I think everybody needs in their collection. 52 Takedo. Number 51 is a monumental occasion because now we're coming to a game that actually has climbed places in this top 100. And I don't just mean climbed a couple, I mean climbed 18 places. That is insane. In fact, I would be right in saying that that's probably the second, second highest... Yep, that is the second highest climb that any game has done on this top 100. That is insane. And you're going to even... It's even more insane when I tell you that, that game is Robinson Crusoe. Some of you who have listened for a long time on this podcast are going to be thinking I've gone mad or gone delirious with the fact that this room is actually really hot at the moment. Whew, it really is. But, no, I mean it. This is Robinson Crusoe and it has climbed 18 places. Didn't you once put this on your overrated games list, Luke? Yes, I did. I once said this game was overrated. I did. 
and I'm sorry. I really am sorry, because when I played it then, I had played it in a four-player experience, and I wasn't taught it that well, I didn't quite get half the rules, I thought, oh my god, this is punishing as anything, and I just wasn't getting into it. Now, I then decided after a little bit of a hiatus that it was sort of calling to me. You know, I thought, oh, you know, I need another co-op game in the collection and I want thematic, I want theme, I want theme. And I knew that Robinson Crusoe had the theme there, but I was a little uncertain. So I just bit the bullet, bought it and thought, let's try it solo. Let's just try and plough through a couple of games solo and see if there was anything I missed. Wow, did I miss a lot. Yes, I think I just had a bad experience that first game, because when I played it solo, I enjoyed it so much more. And that doesn't mean I will only play it solo. I've played it two-player, I've played it four-player, I've played it three-player. I think three-player is actually quite a good balance. But it just sort of, it came out more. I started to find out, oh yes, the theme is really strong, and yes, it is punishing as all get-out, but it's fun. It's fun for the game to punish you in this way. I know I don't normally like punishing games, but with co-ops I don't mind because you're all working together. But there's no more thematic way to get beaten in the co-op than in Robinson Crusoe. It does need a bit of a rules rewrite, I will give it that, but I hear the second edition is on its way, which is a bit annoying because I bought the expansion to this one before I heard that, but I still think that's I think that's just going to improve it even more. New artwork, new rulebook, I think that will be the biggest kick that this one needs to get back into the public domain, and maybe I'll even replace my first edition with the second edition just so I can have a slightly easier to understand rulebook. So I think that was its biggest flaw, the rules were quite fiddly and the rulebook wasn't perfect for the normal edition but if you could get past that this was just a solid co-op one of my favorites i think it will probably get higher as time goes on maybe but i'm sorry i called this overrated this is one of those occasions where i was wrong and i will freely admit that until the day i die robinson crusoe not overrated 51 Okay, five more games to go, and we're going with a game that has dropped 15 places since last year. So relatively consistent, and I think you'll find that most of the drops as we go on are a little bit more consistent and probably less dramatic than previous ones, although that might have something to do with the fact that we're getting closer to one. Yeah, maths, you know, what do you know? This one is a really cool... I wouldn't call it a city building game, it's more of a castle building game, and because you are building castles, quite literally, in weird shapes and sizes, and this is Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Castles of Mad King Ludwig really does burn your brain with some of the decisions you make in this, because when you are setting the tiles for the, the various pieces of the castle up for bidding, so that you say, oh, I'm going to price this piece at that, I'm going to price this piece at that. You can run into some analysis paralysis pretty easily doing that because it all matters greatly. But even then, when you get past that bit, the rest of it is fairly straightforward, but you get to make combos with completing rooms, and it's just quite fun to watch your castle expand in front of you and comment on everybody's sort of weird specialisations that they've done or just the weird compositions. I haven't actually tried this yet with the Moats expansion, the... I think it was called Secrets. I haven't tried it with that yet. I hear it makes it better. I hear it makes it a bit more interesting and thematic with the moat round your castle. I'll find out for myself. I've got it. I just haven't had a chance to bring it to the table yet. But I do look forward to that day. So Castles and Mad King Ludwig still going strong. Bezier Games just keep knocking it out of the park a lot with their games lately. Number 50.
Number 49 dropped 15 places as well because these two games were neck and neck last year and they're still neck and neck now in the same order as they were before because I just can't tell which one of these two games I like. They're both designed by Bezier, they both feature city building, castle building, you know that similar mechanic and they both have the same kind of pricing mechanic, just slightly more emphasis on that with Castles of Magkin Ludwig. It's insane that I can't separate these games out, it's just madness. This one is Suburbia. I still can't decide which one I, you know, I can't separate them out enough. They are right next to each other. They are as close as you can possibly get to whether I like these games or not. But I think Suburbia takes the edge ever so slightly just because I think the city building aspect and the way that you have to really think about how you're building up because of the income stream and how as you get more population suddenly your income and your reputation drops and I really like how that works. The expansion also I think pips this above Ludwig because of the borders that you can do. They allow you to build your cities in lots of weird and wonderful ways and that just elevated it above everything for me in terms of comparing the two. Now granted I don't I'm not a biggest fan of the five-star expansion. I don't think that added very much, so I can do without that. But certainly, playing this with the borders is the best way to play Suburbia, and that's why it pips Castles of Mad King Ludwig to hit number 49. Okay, three more games on this list, and we are into a new debut as well. This one came out last year at Essen and took the two-player world by storm. This is one of the best two-player games in existence, and it's based off another game, which is also one of the best games out there. Designed by Antoine Balzer and Bruno Catala, I think this one was. Yep, a collaboration of two of the best designers out there. So what did you expect? It was going to be good. And that's Seven Wonders Duel. Seven Wonders Duel, I, I didn't think this would work. I honestly didn't. I know that Seven Wonders has a two-player variant, and it's not particularly good. Not everybody was really a fan of it. There was like probably one person I knew that liked it. But then when they thought, oh, we're going to make this one for two-player only, and I thought, how's that going to work? I mean, the, the fact that you had to keep an eye on neighbours was cool, and the expansion for Babel meant that you had a bit more of a global feel. So I didn't know how two-player was going to work. But I was proven wrong. Seven Wonders Duel turned out to be a fantastic implementation of what made Seven Wonders great and keeping it to a two-player game with three ways to win. So you've always got to look out for the combat track and the science symbols. You know, is your opponent about to win by one of those two before the game ends? And then if they don't, have you got enough points to win at the game end? Really cool. The setup means that you've got good variety. And the expansion, Pantheon, sounds like it's going to add gods into the mix, which all it's about time that they did. I thought, where are we going to get these guys in? And now we're going to get our wish. It's already been previewed at Gen Con now. I look forward to, hopefully, there'll be an Essen release. That would be nice. I would certainly want to pick it up at Essen if that's the case. But for now, I will sit happily with my Seven Wonders Duel Box at home, which has a cool illustration by one of the artists, I believe, that was responsible for the cool artwork in this game. And... It's a great two-player game. One of the best out there. Seven Wonders Duel. You really do need to check this one out if you are in any way a fan of Seven Wonders. This will surprise you beyond belief. Number 48.
Number 47, a bit of a drop for this one, number 25 places, mostly again because it's difficult to get it to the table, but I still really, really enjoy this one. This might even be my favourite Civilization game, am I right in saying that? Uh, possibly, it kind of depends on what you call a Civilization game really, but this one is Sid Meier's. Civilization, and by that I mean the Fantasy Flight version. With the two expansions in there, which was I think the Fame and Fortune and the Wisdom and Warfare, this just elevated Sid Meier's Civilization to new levels. The base game is alright, but the combat system is not fantastic and there's only so many paths to victory. Once you add in the two expansions though, the combat system is fixed and there's more ways to win, there's more techs, there's more things to do, more, more f countries to be, really nice varied countries. It just works. I really enjoy this one. Now, it's a heavy game, and there's a fair amount of rules to learn, but once you get into the swing of it, you'll find that you actually progress through the turns relatively quickly, and it doesn't bog down too much. But you have great fun doing it. It feels like the computer game, or at least as good as you can make it like the computer game. Because let's face it, the computer game is extensively you know wide and varied you can only translate it so much into a board game but i think this is about as good an imp implementation as you can get i really enjoy playing this one there's still plenty of countries I haven't yet been and i will intend to fill that void at some point soon it's just a bit of a tricky one to get to the table which is why it has dropped 25 places it probably would have only dropped a few places based on all the new entries but it's dropped a little bit further just because of you know heavy games are harder to get to the table and that can have a factor i'm sorry that can have an influence on where it will factor on this list so number 47 sid meyer's civilization by fantasy flight still really adore this one And finally, guys, we got another climber. Yes, another climber. Although only two places. Yeah, this one hasn't climbed that much. It's been pretty consistent since last year. And this is another co-op which has that similar thing to Robinson Crusoe in that it kicks you in the teeth the second you open the box. Yeah, I'm not kidding. This one, literally, you get the box, you undo the shrink wrap, and then as soon as you take the lid off it, this big ghostly hand comes out and slaps you in the face. It's that punishing. This one is Ghost Stories. Ghost Stories is a really good co-op game, but my god, is this hard. Even playing this on normal level is hard. I mean, like in terms of how it is out of the box. You can play it on easy mode, which is probably going a little bit too far, but even then, it's not exactly a cakewalk. But playing this on normal mode is already punishing enough. And yet this one has hard, I think, difficult and hell. Hell difficulty? Seriously, I want to play a game. You know, I don't want to just literally be sent to hell. Because that's essentially how hard that one is. I mean, it's bad enough having to kill Wang Fu or whatever his name is once, but to kill him multiple times, that's just ridiculous. If anybody has beaten this game on hell difficulty, I want video evidence, because I'm not going to believe you until I see a full, unedited video of you beating this game on hell difficulty. Because it's just that difficult. But... I know it makes it sound worse than it actually is by being hard, but this is still great fun. You're monks with these cool abilities, you're rolling dice to beat up all these really nasty looking ghosts, and there is a big sense of teamwork about this. Alpha players will only take you so far in this because you have to work together. You cannot be a lone ranger in this. 
It just isn't possible. There's just no way you could do this by yourself. So you have to work as a team and there is a good sense of cooperation. That and the artwork is stellar. It is some of the best artwork I've seen in co-op games. And the feel of it just works. It's one of those ones that you want to bring out around the Halloween time along with all your other horror games. But even just in general, you want to play this with four players always. Don't play this so well, you can play it solo with four people, but don't play it with just two, don't play it with just three. Play it with the full complement of four players. This is a great co-op game and the White Moon expansion made it even better. Granted, it also made it a little harder to teach new players, so I have to keep them separate component-wise. But when you add in the White Moon expansion, you get more ghosts, more more cool artifacts. You get the Spirit Lady, who, much like in the sort of setting that it's in, comes by and helps you to block out some of the ghosts. Really thematic, but still one of my favourite co-ops. I don't care how much it beats me to a pulp on a regular occasion. Still really enjoy this one. Climbing two places to 46 and ending this segment, Ghost Stories. And that ends this segment for the Top 100. Thank you guys for tuning in. 15 great games. I hope you agree with me. The next 15 I'll get out as soon as I can. But for now, I hope you enjoyed this next segment, Part 3 of the Top 100. See you soon in Part 4. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like Out of Game or the Plaid Hat Podcast. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.